Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to episode three and our final episode of our story day talk from development exec Angelie McFarlane. I'm Matimba Kavalika from the BFI Network. This is the last 22 minutes of Angelie's talk where she shares her experiences of finding and developing plot. If you've missed the other two episodes, I'd highly recommend going back to hear about script structure in episode one and then character development in episode two. So here is the final one from our first ever story day enjoy it and hold out for the end where Anjali takes some tough questions including how to find a unique and different voice as a writer and how do you know if your script is any good we got to plotting so we're an hour 10 in and we finally got there you see this is a this is a 90 minute lecture and we're an hour 10 in and we've only now got to plotting so were you to have the perhaps sometimes pleasant and sometimes really quite kind of nose grinding experience of sitting at a desk with me the plotting element, as I said, comes. It needs to come when you're ready for it. Because when you're ready for it, it's, it feels so much easier if you've done all that groundwork than if you go at it when you're not ready. Because as I said, then what you're doing is you're shunting the project uphill and it's got the writer's hand all over it and the characters are doing what you want them to do. So you're forgetting to let them act and react. You're forgetting the interconnectivity between the characters, which is natural. The natural way that we interrelate and that if you bring a character into a landscape, how you change the dynamic. So the natural way of human interaction has not fed in because you are driving it so much that there's something unnatural about the way your story feels. It's just not organic. So when we're ready for plotting, we're ready for plotting, okay? Plotting is overanalyzed, yet its function is often misunderstood. I've sort of said that. The main thing that I want to say here is that key turning points in scripts are emotional. And that's something, you know, often I see that turning points are very, you know, when someone nails the turning points to the floor, what they're always talking about is action points. And I think what we have to remember is that the, the turning point, because the story belongs to the character, then the turning points belong to the character. Therefore, the turning points are focused around the event and how the character reacts to it. So what is, what is the aftermath, in a sense, of the plot point is really where the true turning point lies. Because if the character decides have it, this having happened that they're gonna go and kill someone, that's the true turning point. Because that's an emotional decision, clearly. It was a strategic decision in plot terms, but it's an emotional choice, it's a moral choice. Because surely this will be saying, will be asking, is it possible for him or her not to go and murder that person? Because if there's no tension there, then the script, there's something wrong with the script anyway. But you do see what I'm saying. So the conflict and the dilemma that is created 
by what gets the character to the place where they need to commit a murder is where the juice is at. So don't separate them out. You need them both. Okay, you need the emotional reaction to the plot point, which is what creates the turning point. They, 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 they are together. They need to exist um, together. And every action point needs a build-up and execution and an aftermath. Because that's the truth of action, right? If I want to move my leg, okay, if I want, I mean, just it's a stupid example, but if I want to move my right leg now, I have to put my weight onto my left leg because otherwise I can't move my right leg. Now I can move my right leg and I, you know, and I move it, okay? The aftermath of that is now that my weight's on my right leg. I mean, that's a silly example, but do you see what I mean? Every action requires a setup, an execution, and an aftermath. Now, one of the problems with screen storytelling quite often is that what kickstarts the story is something that happened in the past. So you have to decide for yourself what is in the film. Is it the aftermath? Are you gonna have the execution in the story? Or, and when you're gonna show flashback, if you do, uh, what are you going to show? Are you going to show the execution or are you going to show the build up to the point where it actually happened? Or are you going to show the aftermath, the immediate aftermath, and then the movie is the sort of the elongated aftermath. Do you see what I mean? Stories are all about connecting to where on the line of, of the journey of an event the story is. And each event in the story is created by something. You know, there's that thing, isn't there, that you can't create energy, can you, in the world? Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, so you can't create an event. The event existed in a different form, and, now, and, and it's turned into this, and then it turns into that. So everything, and importantly, as I said, they don't need to be in the script. So you don't have to have everything on the page, but they need to exist, and you need to know. So, for example, with that, I go back to my character example, the aftermath of the discovery of what the girl is doing is not on the page. Okay, but, so we don't see her react immediately, but her subsequent action is a consequence of that aftermath. And so her behavior needs to change. Otherwise she has not reacted and therefore there is no cause and effect. And therefore you have broken this rule. And if you've broken this rule, there is something wrong with your script because it is a rule. It's, it's just the kinetic nature of events. They come from somewhere and they, they occur and then they go somewhere. So that is a, I think is a very useful plotting, plotting tool. Yeah, does that make sense? Some of these things are really hard to get your head around in abstract. I write this stuff down because I talk about it so often. I just kind of write it down and then I read it and I go, really? And then I stop my self-loathing and I say, you know what? When I'm working on something, when I'm with the material, I know that this will make sense. And I think that's the thing is go into, use these things with the material. Because that's why screenwriting books are, A, I think it's impossible to read them cover to cover because they kind of make your head blow off. But also because what you need to do is access them when you need them. And this becomes important when you're looking at the journey of a character and every event that happens to the character, where did it start? Where does it happen? What's, what, what, what are the consequences of it? And then you just say, my rule, my rule, my rule. And you become really good at it. And then you naturally go, oh my gosh, I'm not milking that. Of course that scene doesn't work because she's behaving like nothing happened. But it's not deliberate. She's not deliberately behaving like nothing happened. She's accidentally behaving like nothing happened because I am manipulating the material to my own end and I've forgotten what a character would organically do in that situation. Given that I, I, me, the writer, gave her a set of characteristics, which means that she would behave in that way. So I'm not being true to my own writing. I'm not respecting my own 
creation. I made this woman, I made her behave in a certain way and then she's behaving in another way because I'm not paying attention to the rule of plotting. So character building and plotting inevitably therefore start to come hand in hand, which is what we need them to do because I don't want to just talk about character because you'll just go, well, that ain't helping when I've got 100 pages to write. Okay. And then back to the point where the story kicks off and the crisis point and the point of resolution. And so, as I said, when you go to treatment, it's a very good point to do it before you get to that 100 pages and it becomes unwieldy. Or do it on your cards. So you've got all your moments mapped out and then have the the card that says everything changes or this changes he changes but she doesn't realize he'll never come back again but she hasn't yet understood that she'll never get she'll never you know like Juno for example she'll never we know she'll never get the perfect family when do we know that really early because do we all have perfect families no so we know that right from the beginning she doesn't know that even though her life is screaming at her going there is no such thing as a perfect fact. Your mother sends you cacti, for God's sake. Do you see what I'm saying? So we, there are points at which it becomes apparent to the audience and then there are points at which things become apparent to the character. It's really good to map them. I like cards for that reason because they allow you to just write stuff down that's not in the film, but it's in your head. But know where those points are and be tough on yourself. And you see, I'm not talking about act breaks. I'm not interested in act breaks. Act breaks fall naturally. And you know what? People like me are really good at coming in and saying your act two turning points in the wrong place. We can spot it. But what you need to be good at is knowing where your turning points in are for your character and what the consequences are so that you will never make the mistake of not gathering moss around your stone as you move forward and having characters do things that are out of character or inconsistent in terms of the story journey or that do not exploit the aftermath, the need for an aftermath of an event, okay? If you imagine that every event has a ripple effect in terms of aftermath, that you suddenly realise the interconnectivity between characters is not necessarily about sticking them in scenes together, it's about having them react to what's going on. And that unites them. And that unites your thinking. Story type, or the outer layers, okay. Genre, I kind of had to mention it. Vital tool or blunt instrument. Um, genre is important. We're starting to turn outwards now. We've been spending the last hour and 10 talking inwards. But we t if we turn our story outwards and we look at our reader, we look at our audience, we expect a reaction from them which is in tune with what our intentions are, okay? Our intentions are vital. As a development person, I want to know what you intend to do. That's the most important question I will ask you. But that, that question is loaded because it's about what are you trying to say? Where's your voice in all this? Have you obeyed all the rules that I've just been talking about? And what's the tone? What does it feel like to the audience? Is it funny? Is it satirical? Is it dark? If it's dark, how does that dark manifest? Does it manifest through humour or through sort of painful reality? How to how? And, and what, are you, you know, what are you doing? Is there consistency in that? And if it's hybridized, how's that gonna work? What is your predominant tone? I believe very much that even if there is a, is the tone isn't singular, there will be a predominant tone because that allows you to shape it, okay? And to decide where you're dipping out of the tone. It's very hard if it's either or, it's very, very difficult. So it is, very, it is necessary to define. If you say to me, it's a thriller, then I have expectations, right? It's normal. And quite often I will say to a writer, actually, it's not a thriller. You think you're writing a thriller, but you're not. And that's cool because either you are writing a thriller and I can help you because I know the tropes of thriller writing and we can work through them, or you're not writing a thriller and you need to know that. 
and so stop because what you're doing if you're writing a thriller is your compact action in the last 20 30 minutes you have lots of short scenes and the story will be driven very much by the jeopardy of the loss of life and the character having finally realized what they have to do is morally compromise themselves to save themselves or whoever they need to save that is the law of thriller writing right there so if it's not a thriller that suddenly changes the potential dynamic of the, the whole of the last act of your film. So it does matter. It really matters. My relationship with genre is not the same as E1's or protagonist. Or It's a different relationship. That's an important relationship, but mine's different. Mine is about the tools of screenwriting and that if you are going to work within a genre, then you need to understand how that genre is perceived in terms of what it's supposed to do and therefore how you're working with that as much as you want to but where you're Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Not to be aware of the consequences of you might be producing a misdirect and you need to own that. So when you go in the room, you need to say, you know what, guys, I know it feels like that, but this is what I'm doing and I know I can make it work. And I'm sitting and I'm listening to you going, go on then, convince me. I want to be convinced. I love it when people tell me I'm a rule bender. So long as you know that you are and you know where you've done it and you know how you're going to convince me that you can get away with it. But if you just say, I, it doesn't, these things don't matter, then I'm like, hmm. I think you slightly misunderstood the rules of the world, the rules of the filmmaking world. So it does matter. And also as a filmmaker, you know, you're gonna go through the layers and layers and layers of tissue and out into the bone and the skin and the hair and you're gonna come out the other end and every single layer makes demands on you. And when you get out there and all your HODs are gonna look at it and your finances are gonna look at it and your actors are gonna look at it and your editor's gonna look at it and then everyone's gonna have a view and everyone's gonna have something to say and, you know, guess what your producer does? Your producer sells it as a thriller because it's much easier. That's what they do, right? And so you have the conversation with the producer where you say, that's cool, you do that, but I am going to do this. And we do have to understand that's what I'm doing. And it will look this way. And you need to sit in the room with me, with my editor and my, my director of photography and my production designer and hear what we're saying because we're all hing singing from the same hymn sheet and we're all saying it's going to look and feel like this and the audience experience is going to be therefore that. Are you cool with that? Yes or no? That's the film I'm making. You can't have that conversation if you're not honest with yourself as a, as a writer and director. So it does matter. 
it matters that you own a very sophisticated understanding of how audience perceives genre, that you have a very sophisticated understanding of how marketing, sales and distribution people perceive genre, and that you understand the technical rules of screenwriting that apply to different genre. That's a big ask. Yes. If you're writing, say, a genre, say you're writing a thriller, but you've never yes. written a thriller, yes. how would you know the necessary uh, beats or the things that must happen in the way that you described it of yes. self-sacrifice at the end yes. in order to write it? Would you analyse previous scripts and analyse how they approached the narrative? Or I'm always shocked by how, how often writers don't read scripts. And I'm like, well, surely you shouldn't be reading scripts all the time. Yes, so for example, I mean, I, what I do very often is I read the script, you know, I, so often I see things from film, so I'll see the film and I'll go, oh my, like Collateral, for example, which I use a lot in my teaching because it's such a, it's a kind of an ersatz perfect thriller. So you go, so you watch Collateral and you go back and read the script and you go, oh my goodness me, the two, you know, the two key turning point scenes between Max and, and Vincent, which are all about worldview, which is all about, I care about people and therefore I will do what, it, what, what is required to save people and I don't care about people, therefore I can kill them at random occur on page 25 and on page 75. It's perfectly structured. It's a really good lesson to learn. So you do that and then you read others and then, you know, and then you go and watch loads and you just steal from the best. Absolutely, totally, that's what you do. And then also you trust your own instincts because we again have absorbed it, you know, from when we're tiny, we're told stories and then we grow up and we, 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 we decide which kinds of stories we're going to watch and, and we become really good at certain things. And I think we're much more attracted to write something that we feel we want to see, which probably means that you've watched lots of films like that. And I think there is a perversity sometimes of writers saying, I'm going to write something about which I know nothing and about which I don't care. And I'm like, oh, okay, but you know what? Challenge yourself, why not? But mostly I think we are drawn to things that we're interested in already and therefore you have a huge lake of understanding about how, for example, thrillers work. So tap into it and say, well, what do I know? What, when, you know, when Angie was talking about moral comp the moral compromise of the main character, what does that actually mean? Let me have a look at films and, you know, you look at something like Drive, for example, or, or Collateral, or, and, and you think, okay, well, how, how does the main character's journey take them through a moral landscape that, that shifts them, particularly when they start off in an immoral place, which is really interesting, like the great British film, The Long Good Friday. You know, the Bob Hoskins film is really, really rich and interesting in terms of the thriller world being about the moral landscape. For example, I mean, I'm being specific here, but yeah, you just do your homework. Do your homework. Okay, um, but I think basically these are a bunch of questions that I sometimes think we ask ourselves, or we, we, we maybe don't articulate them necessarily openly, but I think they're always there. So how do I know if my script is any good? That's a toughie, isn't it? Because I think we veer between, oh my God, it's amazing, and oh my God, it's absolutely terrible. And neither of those polarities are useful to us, of course, because it's going to be somewhere in the middle. But we do have to ask ourselves some really quite simple basics. These are, these are kind of bigger, out-of-body out, out questions now. We're out of the, the bulk of the writing thing. So have you put an extraordinary amount of work into the things I've talked about? Unified the tone and employed causality. Those are two things that, again, I, I've talked about. Have you tried to write like someone else and have you tried hard to be unique? Okay, I want to go back to that unique thing just for a second quickly before I stop, which is do you truly need to try to be different or unique? Because I think that's what being different means. It means doing something not that no one else has done before. I honestly believe you're in a hiding to nowhere if you try and do that. Because 
as, as hard as it is, if I would say to you now, to each one of you in the room, can you define your voice as a writer? You would go, no, and that's really embarrassing, and why would I? And that sounds really immodest. And also, it's not up to me to say, people say, well, that's an Alma Duvar film, or that's a so-and-so film, that's a voice, right? Or that's definitely written by Jonathan Franzen, or that's so clearly Virginia Woolf. You know what I mean? It, we, we understand the, the, the concept of the voice, but you do have a voice, and the uniqueness of your voice is a given. It's the quality of the voice that is interesting to me. And it's about working towards improving the quality is what you should be doing. So put your energy in the right place. Don't worry about being different. Worry about what it is about you coming into your work. So ask yourself all the sorts of questions that I suggested that you do. Have you imagined who would see your film and how they might react to it? I think that's really important. Have an audience in your head. It doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter how big it is. But if you come into a meeting with me and I say, who do you think will go and see your film? And you, and you say, everybody. And I say, well, <laughs> I, say I mean, in, in an ideal world, sure, maybe. But maybe not, you know. Maybe the film isn't for everybody and that's cool. But who do you think would go and see it? And that's where you can compare to previous films and have a sense of a connection. And that's not worrying about being too like them or copying them. But it's about understanding we are a creative family and of course we connect to each other. These stories existed. You know, a film is an event. There is an aftermath to a film and the aftermath is the impact it has on us. And as creative people, we take the baton and we run with it. Okay, that's our job. We don't work in isolation of what has gone before. Just be careful if you say, well, it's a, it's a mashup between, you know, Saturday Night Fever and Laura. Well, I'm like, okay, I, I can't see that. that. That's not happening in my head. So just be careful. But if you say, you know that great scene in that film, well, I want to transpose that tone into this kind of film. And I'm going, oh my God, that's really interesting and original. I've never seen that. That's great. And I love it. I love your take. Your take is about understanding your audience's relationship with the film. Because your take is what you're communicating. And then you have to decide which of those questions you think has a yes, no answer. It's up to you. So see below is see below inside your own heads. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to stop now, and this is where we finally get to the end. And I'm just going to go back over the, the main points that I made. I'm, I'm one and 30 in, so I will be quick. But the emotion a story evokes must drive the writing. Feelings first, plot second. And that's as much about yourself as the author as it is about your characters. How do, how do things make your characters feel? When things happen to them, to them what, do, what does your character want to do? What must they do? And what do they actually do? And that comes from a place of feeling. And even if the feeling is duty, it's still a feeling, right? Plotting is about realising story, and story is about people in a place at a specific time with necessary change afoot. So what I've said is that plotting is technically tough, and I'm not denying that for one second, but it comes from the person in the place at a specific moment in time with a specific problem, and recognising where the turning points are to do with the character and how they map onto the plot, the action point. They need to be wedded. They don't always happen at exactly the same time, but they will work around each other. So you need to recognise where they are and use that as your structure. My last point is to beef you up and say to you, no one should be able to denigrate your script or tear your script apart if you are strong about what it is that you're trying to say.
And that's so important because if you don't know what you think you're trying to say and you don't have to write it up and stick it over your computer and leave it there forevermore as it has this kind of this fixed thing that nobody can change and nothing can do. That's not the point. But the point is knowing roughly what it is that you think you want to say and how you want your audience to feel. OK, and have, have an awareness of that, because then when someone questions what you're doing and you say, you know what, you've got a point. But that's not the problem. I, th I hear what you're saying. I think there's something else I need to be doing and we need to work until we find out what it is. Something's troubling you and respect that from the advice you get. If someone says there's something wrong, listen. But it's not always what they say that is the problem. But the only way you can know that and not revise badly is if you know your material and you know what it is that you're trying to say. And that is your power. And if you lose that power as a writer, you've lost because then people can walk all over your material. And if they're good at what they're doing, you're lucky, and that's great. But if they're not good at what you're, they're doing, or it just so happens that yours is the kind of material they don't really understand or are not familiar with, then your film's going to be damaged. And I say that because it's what I do, so I've been critical of my own kind. So I think your power is having something to say and understanding something about what it is that you're trying to do and knowing yourself and knowing your voice to an extent enough that you recognize a comment in terms of its value for you and how you can move on. So listen, but listen in the right way and go forth and let's have a break. Okay, thank you. So that was Angelie McFarlane speaking to emerging writers and directors at Story Day in May. Sorry we couldn't mic up all the talks, but at least you got the meaty bit of the day. We make these podcasts because the BFI Network exists to discover, develop and fund new and emerging filmmakers. Let us know what you think. Tweet us at BFI Network. There's more where this came from. Podcasts, film, funding opportunities and lots of other good things on the network website. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.